This episode of Vic's Basement is brought to you by Sony and the PlayStation 4, which comes out November 15th. Greatness awaits, and I can't wait for mine. Welcome to my basement, everybody. Hello, Scott Jones. Lucas, I love that you have had the cleaners in here to get the place all ready for the new consoles. I'm dusting, man. I'm We're getting ready. We've got the old vacuum, the Hoover. We've got that out. We've got the leaf blower. We've I got threw the, out the um, game gear. You, you finally made room, <laughs> and you parted with your beloved game gear. I saw one of those because my old game gear is kicking around here in the office. Yeah. And, man, what a piece of crap that was. Oh, and come you, on. I had Be to buy nice. it, and I had to kind I bought one, too. And, you know, I bought like three or four I games I had no for the money thing. back then, either. I know. I, I remember I bought it in Dallas, Texas, of all places. I treated to myself, my uh, treated myself, my uh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend, who was my wife you, at the time. We were ranching back then. Well, we were traveling. No, yeah. no, we were traveling. We, we had were... traveled uh, through Mexico. Take and beans. We got tired of uh, of traveling through Mexico and spending more money than we had budgeted for. So we said, "Screw this! Let's go to Disney Let's go World." Go get a Game Gear. Yeah, well, <laughs> and what we did it was a great trip because we actually landed in Dallas and had a had a layover on the way back to uh, Vancouver, and we just said, "Well, can we just extend our layover by, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, and then we'll just take a bus trip across the southern U.S." And so we hit a bunch of towns, Mobile, Alabama, and and uh, I'm really tired New Orleans. of talking to your girlfriend now, your wife, and you're like, I need a Game Gear. No, but honey, no, I, I am at. You know me. I my like work. My last nerve has worked. Hey, do you know me? I like video games, and I figured, uh, you know, we're going to be traveling on buses for a while. Let's let's go uh, grab a portable game system. You know what? So I, so I bought this thing. I can't wait for the TV movie. Of the life. Of your life. Victor Lucas. <laughs> That's kind of what this, if you put all the podcasts together, it's kind of the Fade TV in movie. <laughs> on bus driving down dusty trail what else in do Texas. We talk about on this show if we don't talk about ourselves. Close up of T- man playing Game Gear. Tell me about your Game Gear story. <laughs> and don't tell me it was a happy one because that system sucked balls. Uh, it wasn't even as good as I the. I know. Uh, you put in like nine AA batteries and yeah, then it would be the, dead in 20 minutes. The Lynx kicked its ass. The Neo Geo I Pocket Color kicks its the, ass. The N-Gage The uh, Turbo Graphics ass. 16 you know what? or but whatever. Is, the... I was still naive and yeah. very young, and I just loved the fact that this wasn't... I wasn't a Game Boy guy. I yeah. felt like I was a little too old for the Game Boy. Eight-year-olds right. had the Game Boy. Right. Now I'm just the right age for the Game Boy. Yeah. Uh, but back then, I'm like, no, I want the sophisticated game. I want the backlit screen. I want the machine that has the colors. Yeah. So I went to the store. I was working as, this is when I worked at the mall Santa Claus. Oh, no way. Yeah. And I had no money. I made minimum <laughs> wage and I was working Fade as Santa Claus. on the mall Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> in the Pencan Mall. This is what I love about you and me is we could not have been more broke. <laughs> I could, like, I was, I, know. Sa- I was saving money to move to Chicago. I, and and I went and I found the dough and it wasn't cheap. No, it wasn't to buy this thing. Yes, and three three or four games which were all terrible except for the Mickey Mouse game which yeah. I loved where yeah. you jumped on the giant you know, the, like the, the castle of illusion in, in the castles were like that was monsters. castle of illusion. Yeah, that one. That's the one that you just ragged on on the on the console version. Well, back then it was a revelation. Yeah, and I remember still living at home, still listening to my dad build the fire in the wood stove downstairs. I know I'm painting. It's like Little House on the Prairie. Yep. I was upstairs. About to become a grown man, maybe about to experience love and sexuality for the first so time. Puberty had I happened. I was under the covers. <laughs> yeah, puberty had happened. I'd sprouted the hair in all the right places, but okay. I was 
I was under the covers playing my game gear and I still felt safe and at home and I was on the cusp of a wild adventure where I'd go to Chicago and all kinds of crazy shit would happen to me. Yeah. But back then I was so, so you, afraid of the world and I just wanted to disappear into the screen for and the you 20 minutes it. of battery life that right. the machine would have. And you had a positive experience. Because I felt... I don't know. I didn't know any better. I, I felt ripped off I didn't know any way. better. I had already experienced you were better a, handheld You were stuff. a savvier consumer than I, I, I was. I was like, this, this sucks. Sonic wasn't as good in Game Gear form as Mario <laughs> was in Game Boy form. I remember playing you the know? Sonic game. Yeah. yeah, even though the, the it was pretty game, good. It was lame compared to the even the, the monochrome Come colors on. of the Game Boy, the first one. That was a better platform. I couldn't play that thing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, tried. you couldn't play it at night. <laughs> you had to play in direct sunlight <laughs> to see anything. It was the Kindle of video games back in the day. Oh, it really was. Yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah, we're getting ready for the new consoles. We've come so far. Thank you again to Sony and the PlayStation 4, which comes out on November 15th. Let's sing the jingle. PlayStation 4. We don't have ours yet. We're Matt Levitin. Where's our PlayStation? Cannot wait for PlayStation <laughs> is 4. Is the FedEx guy here? <laughs> yeah. Mom! Mom, is our PlayStation 4 here? Because as soon as I get that thing, I am vanishing. I know. You will not see me on Twitter. I know. You will try to contact me on Facebook. Guess what? I will not be there. It will be Scott. We need to host our daily shows. Can nope. you please come back It'll to be the like office? Tron. We'll both disappear inside the PlayStation 4. We you should shoot a Tron segment. No, you know what we'll do? We'll just put the PlayStation 4 on the set. We'll let it host. <laughs> just put a little we'll toupee on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get two of them. Yeah, get two of them. We'll get a one small one and a big one. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll put one further in the oh, foreground. That's great. But All right. they will, PlayStation 4s will be at home with us. I know they will. We will be rubbing. What a waste of PlayStation 4s. Rubbing our things all our over. Our body them. parts all Body over. parts will get rubbed all over it. You, you know what? I can't believe that the new machines are coming. I'm, next gen is almost here, man. Oh, I hope it's my robot it's friend that I've always dreamed of. Battlefield 4 on the PC. Oh, my God. And that is next gen that's here already on the PC. I mean, it's... Well, the it's, PC is the next-gen console of choice. They're all... For me. So damn amazing. Like, the, the visual fidelity of what we get now, ridiculous. Guess what? Puts uh, the game gear to shame, it does. You know, uh, let's talk about Ender's Game really quickly. Yes. That was a good movie. Hellaciously we fun. both enjoyed yes. it a lot. If, you, if you're totally looking for surprised. something to do this weekend... Go see Ender's Game. Yeah, but Orson Scott Card's still a bigot. You know what we're going to... Uh, that's I, all right. I you know what? I couldn't believe that the, this guy... Because I didn't read the book, so I didn't know what to expect out of this thing. But he wrote a you know a humanitarian uh, you know perspective film that was multicultural, that was all about you know youthful empowerment and, and uh, you know getting past your mental blocks and all of these uh, sort of uplifting, aspirational kind of messages in this film. It's, it's you know, definitely emo. It's definitely got some dark, foreboding elements to it um, and some powerful messages. But at the core of it, there was a very humane kind of perspective. And I can't believe it's this guy that has all of these, you know, bigotry uh, sort of uh, you know, backwards-looking kind of messaging around. I don't want to get into this. I, know, I, I will say this way too heavy a to topic. you. Yes. I will say this to you. Since the dawn of time, bad people have Make been making good things. art, yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to endorse the person if yes. we like the art that they make. I mean, look at Roman Polanski. Look at Woody uh, Allen. Roman Polanski has made a million great movies. He's a child molester. That is a fact. I know. It's true. And yeah. same with Woody Allen. Woody Allen, Allen yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... And he continues to make great movies, and they're great artists. And look, I mean, look at our sports heroes. People who we love have done so many terrible things. Yeah. That doesn't mean we can't admire People are not one thing. But they're not one thing. No. They're more multifaceted individuals. I, that is today's life lesson. I, Thank you. This I, is like Sesame Street I, for adults. I, I know that we are on the path, and I think Ender's Game is a uh, 
uh, a part of that message. I just wanted to celebrate that we enjoyed a movie yeah, together. Yeah, but it's part of that message of universal acceptance and and uh, and working together. And that's what this movie is kind of about. You know, it's it's uh, celebrating the power of an individual, but also. Uh, the, the, all of the team-based stuff in this thing, because basically we're watching these futuristic war games happen, and everybody has to rely on each other. And the uh, you know the the sort of older warrior class has to rely on the the uh, youthful invention of these uh, uh, new recruits. It, it's a pretty incredible film, and it and it satisfies on a lot of levels that I absolutely pertain to our love of video games and technology and everything, but also. Uh, there's depth that I wasn't prepared for. It's a great film. It's it's the best video game movie since The Wizard. In a way. Yeah. yeah. It's all, or the it's, original it's, Tron. It's an awesome video game yes. movie. Yeah. And you know what they could have called this instead of Ender's Game, and I think it would have been a more appropriate title, is uh, Nerd's Rule. Yeah. It's a very geeky movie. Totally. You know, like I, I think that people will like it if they're not into all of this stuff, but they'll wonder why they like it, and right. they'll they'll think, is that what video games are like now? Because right. the- there are some terrific video game sequences in this film, uh, but it does get geeky. It does get it, you know, like fetishistic. It Me too. I mean, it, it, like, if you are a fan of Homeworld, holy crap, you are going to love this movie. You yeah, know? It's go a- see it, support uh, good movies. Yes, uh, and uh, great performances, and, you know, I, the more I see, I mean, Ben Kingsley's a, a master, but... I just I I love him. I love seeing him. I love the different nuance and the. I mean, it's got Kingsley and it's got Harrison Ford, and those are two similarly aged actors. But Kingsley has been everybody on screen. I mean, he's completely chameleon-like in the stuff that he puts up there. Harrison Ford is cranky man. I still find when they come on screen, it's still like, oh, Harrison Ford's here. Oh, Ben Kingsley. I know. Listen, forget about that. Look, they're they're the uh, they're the master class, and we're all like, okay, we've seen these guys, but they're both terrific in this movie. This is the part in the show when I say. But dude, but what dude, about Asa Butterfield? He's great. Who is amazing he's in this great. movie. He walks away with this motion picture. You know who I was a little let down by is Haley Steinfeld. I know. I, I didn't even so good I didn't in, recognize her. In uh, True Grit. Yes, I didn't even recognize well, she's her. She's gotten a little older. Yeah, but she's also become less uh present on screen. Some well, I mean I You know what I mean? Trying to hold your own with Asa Butterfield. Yeah, and I think the role is that doesn't, his name? I hope I'm yeah, saying Asa it right. Butterfield, yeah, yeah. Who was in Hugo and he did a fantastic Funny job. Funny name, Asa Butterfield. Great name, I like it. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> totally. <laughs> awesome names. Uh, but listen, we uh, we are talking next gen, but right now we are shifting to Xbox One. We're going to be talking about uh, something that is very, yeah, we, very big on the Xbox One. We are friends with a lot of high-powered movers and shakers we, here in Vancouver. We're very lucky to be, yeah, aren't yeah, we? We fly around in helicopters and drink uh, Dom P. How's it going, James Cameron? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we caught up with one of the studio heads over at Capcom Vancouver, formerly known as Blue Castle, and I can't believe we got the. We've been trying to get this guy on the show for like ten years, even before we had a show. We wanted to get this guy on it. We've got a cool guest in the basement today. It's Jason Lee, who's the senior producer of Dead Rising Three, a launch title for the Xbox One. How are you doing, sir? Excellent, thank you. Thank you. Good to have you good here. You. you must feel uh, overwhelmed, exhausted. How are you feeling? Uh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, Usually when you come out of a big game like this, two, three year production, you just feel beat and all you want to do is go hide in a corner somewhere and and get your wits about you. But uh, doing stuff like this is awesome, coming out and and being proud of the game, proud of the team and uh, showing off our great work. I'm such a huge fan of Dead Rising. The first time I got to go to your offices here 
in Burnaby. Is that right? I don't mm -hmm. know the area very well. Yep. I still don't drive. He lives here. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I remember uh, your offices, just to put it mildly and to put it out there, aren't the most exciting in the world. It's a cubicles. You guys are working. Utilitarian, yep. yeah. Yeah. Got to get the job done. You got to get the job done. But I remember using the bathroom in there. I was like, this is where the guys peed who made <laughs> it And it was so exciting for me. I mean, I was such a huge fan of the series. I can't wait for the third game to come along. Um, uh, let's let's talk about when you first got the Xbox One dev kit. This is two or three years ago. Was it like a, a lawnmower engine and a, and a D battery? I mean, what, how crude was the first piece of hardware you guys had to work with? Um, I can't actually tell you that because they were locked in rooms. It was very very secretive, mm. um, as you'd imagine. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Um, they were Durango at the time, right? Yep, uh, and. Uh, I mean, for, for us, it was exciting, obviously, because um, anytime you get a, a console transition, you know, it, it's the ha more power, you know, what, what can we do with this? Um, and yeah, to, to see some of the first images showing up on the screen, even though the wire kind of led to a secret room somewhere, it was just, <laughs> just really cool, right? There was a secret room with the, with the equipment in it, and yeah. nobody could go in all, there, all and locked the, the door off, was locked. And was, yep. there, was there a man, like a midget, who looked like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> who would like lift a curtain and be like, I'll fix it later, you know, and then just... Yeah, no armed guards or anything like that, yeah. but yeah, little... little so dramatic, and, I love it. But uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and then, you know, there's always those milestones of seeing the image on the screen for the first time. Uh, getting the controller in your hands for the first time is, is awesome, and, and on that day, everyone kind of gathers around and... You know, compares it to the old one and stuff, but that was worked on early too, wasn't it? They had a, a, a kind of a spec for the controller, I think, before they had finalized what the hardware spec was going to be. I think, right? Um, I mean, it, yeah, I, I wasn't really involved in that end of things, but um, there's a lot of iteration yeah. in, in the development of a platform, the same way, way that there is with the development of a game. Uh, and just seeing sort of that process evolve is really cool. Were they listening to you guys? Because obviously Microsoft kind of brought you in-house for the new game. Were they listening to things that you were wanting out of the machine and, and sort of taking that feedback and employing some of those ideas? Yeah, Microsoft is, has been incredible. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. They've been incredible with the, the support not of the developers. Not just saying that because they're sitting over he's, there. And he's, yeah, the, he's got the a gun. chaperone. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> no, uh, they're, they're a fantastic company to work with. Uh, we were thrilled that they, they kind of jumped in our corner and really wanted to support the game and support the franchise and, and Capcom. And uh, yeah, that was one of the things they promoted very early on was, was sort of lifting up the, the curtain and showing us what was going on and, and getting feedback as well. Um, and that's one of the, the great things about the partnership and, and why it's great not just to have the 800-pound gorilla behind you for, for sort of the, the power and the support, but um, a partner th that can actually listen. And, uh, you know, they're, they're making a platform. They want it to be successful. Obviously, they need successful games as well. So uh, they do a good job of, of listening to their dev partners. Now, what was the pull for Capcom? to give one of their crown jewels to you know, a console as an exclusive title. I mean, right. what, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, the, the history of the franchise is that's where it started, right? Mm. Uh, Dead Rising 1, exclusive oh, yeah. on 360. Uh, so in a way, it's kind of taken the trilogy uh, full circle. Um, you know, I, I know there's people with varying opinions. Some people like it, some people don't, and whatever. As a, a developer, you know, I, I'm not really involved in those kind of decisions. Uh, I'm just excited when you can, you can focus on a platform, you know what it can do, you're not sort of watering things down because it has to be cross-platform cross making compromises. 
and uh, you just sort of put your head down and make the best game possible for that system. But in the end, I, I'm really happy with it. I'm, I'm a big Microsoft Xbox fan, so I love it. Yeah, and you guys have built for a whole bunch of, I mean, when you did the big games, right? The bigs. Uh, the bigs. Plural. Yeah, the bigs. Oh. Sorry, the bigs games. Uh, you yeah, had, that was interesting. You had them on let's, everything, right? Let's start a studio. Yeah. Let's start a, a brand new independent studio. Let's make a baseball game and let's make it for what was it five or six platforms? You we had were, it on the we PSP were doing back then. PSP uh, when we the came in the door. That was sure interesting. The engage. You had an engage <laughs> yeah. version. So uh, so yeah. you've been through the route of having to port and work and and uh, neuter the experience or shift the experience for every single skew that's available. So yep. this must be kind of refreshing to have you know one spec <clears throat> to design for, just, right? Just focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, neuter is a term you can use, but it's it's all the platforms out there are great in in their own way. Mm. Um, but yes, it is compromise. I mean, if if the game was the same on all of them, it would be the same platform, right? And we would basically have, you know, a VHS, and and that's the only way you would play movies. But yeah. we don't have that. We have multiple platforms. All of them have things they do well, things they don't do so well. So. It's, it's compromised as a, a dev team. That was the uh, other thing I thought when I first got to go to the office was I was in the bathroom. I was like, this is where the bigs was made. They, all the guys who worked <laughs> on the bigs got the key here. And I love the bigs. And I know Ben Silverman, That's who's a great also game, on yeah. he is a huge fan. It's, it's, we, we're, we're still huge. We're waiting for the bigs three. So hopefully after Dead Rising 3, you guys will get That's to work. That's 2K. He works at Capcom now. I don't know what I don't know. They, don't, Listen, they can't I'm, make that anymore. I'm not on the business That's end. That's a 2K thing. Maybe Capcom should pick it up. But, <laughs> but uh, now I saw you at the end of Dead Rising 2, and, and we've talked about this before. You were drawn. You were gone. You were spent. <clears throat> you wanted your AAA game. That was always a dream of yours, I know. And you got it, and it nearly killed you and Josh Bridge <laughs> and a lot of the other team members. Yep. But this time, look at you. It looks like you've been going to a tanning booth. I mean, you look. <laughs> You look refreshed, you got a twinkle in your eye still. This, making this game obviously didn't kill you. What have you learned uh, over the course of you know, going from Blue Castle to Capcom and, and now making this you know, couple of huge games back to back? Obviously you're learning something. Yeah, yeah I think it's a, a couple things, well, yeah, multiple things. One is uh, getting older, you know, <laughs> kids around the house. Uh, you can't dedicate 100% of your time to, to just your career. So uh, naturally, we have to start learning how to do these things smarter, right? Um, I'm sure there's a number of people around the studio that, that would question whether or not that's the case, but uh, we try. We really try and, and do things better, right? Try and be more efficient. Um, and we love our jobs, we love our careers, but there's, there's other parts of life, right? So the old days of being there till 2, 3 in the morning and then back in the office at 8, uh, just aren't going to work long term. So I think that's part of it. The other part is, again, like I was saying earlier, the, the pride in the game. It's, we've been around to tons of shows, um, the entire uh, sort of design production team with, with tech support, and, and we went down to E3 and, uh, you know, Comic-Con, PAX, uh, PAX yeah. uh, TGS, TGS yeah. Eurogamer, uh, Gamescom. We've been taking all these guys to all these shows, and it's hard work, you guys know, you, you go and do the shows as well, but when you see the press reaction and you see the fan reaction, it just buoys you, right? Uh, so even though I'm tired, a lot of the team is tired and, and everybody deserves a break because they work really hard, at the end, for some reason, this one just feels easier because we're so excited that within a month here, 
you know, the, the world's going to get to play it. Well, one of the things you guys did with Dead Rising 2 was you threw thousands of zombies at us on the screen at the same time, or uh, hundreds. Hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, and it just felt now pretty seamless, and yeah. now it's thousands, but you had already kind of achieved the impossible with the first game, your first game. And with this one, it, it, was it easier to kind of use the extra horsepower and, and uh, you know, scale up a yeah, little bit to the dreams? I talk you guys did. It, it was, uh, I think it was a uh, Vancouver Film School talk expo thing you and josh gave a terrific talk and and you were right. talking about how all the zombie tech worked in the game and, and it was so impressive yeah uh obviously with dead rising 2 <clears throat> same platform as dead rising 1 or, or generation of platforms so it was very much in keeping with with sort of the metrics of the first one the number of zombies we could put on screen and so on although even that was a challenge because as you guys know we we literally recreated dead rising from scratch there wasn't a scrap of code that we used from Dead Rising yep. 1. Why not? Uh, which well, was, that's strange, right? Uh, well, well, it was made it in made Capcom in Osaka, Japan. Osaka, yeah. Why, Ca why, Capcom Japan. Why let him answer? Why do you have to step all over <laughs> oh, me? Well, because I, I understand. <laughs> Just, well, okay. All right. Well, they don't understand. Okay, well, tell us, speaking though. Okay, for them. all right, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't reuse anything, um, and they actually wanted that. Capcom Japan wanted us to, to start with our own stuff, build it on our own uh, engine uh, so that we really knew how to, to milk it. Um, they also wanted to westernize the experience a little bit more. Yeah, very well. much. The, yeah. the, the overall sort of creative and the user experience, they wanted it westernized because they, they found that Dead Rising 1 actually made a bit of a splash in, in the western world mm -hmm. and they wanted to push that further, which I think was a, a great decision. Yeah. Um, and the way the franchise has evolved, you know, I, I'm hoping it's going to become one of those top tier uh, franchises. But yeah, so uh, recreating the game was a massive challenge, and one of the best compliments we got at the end of it was people didn't know that it was from scratch. People just assumed it's a natural sequel. We added bits on, and, and, and we continued. Um, but yeah, getting back to the, the point, um, the metrics of how many zombies and how big the space was and, and so on was all in keeping with the first one. Uh, like I was say, saying earlier, that, uh, that glee you get from a new, new platform immediately it's how can we push this thing, right? How can we use the horsepower? Right. And uh, the new generation of consoles is going to be awesome because you can see the number of zombies. You can see that now we can take Dead Rising, all the tenants of Dead how Rising. How proud you are right now yeah. looking at your game. I love yeah. it. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can take all the tenants of, of Dead Rising, the pillars of Dead Rising, anything and everything is a weapon, the amount of density that we throw in there, the amount of zombies on screen, and now we can actually do it in this fully open world, truly open world, fully streaming, not a single load as you go from one corner of the world to the other. And that either wasn't possible on the previous uh, consoles or the compromises we would have had to have made to drop the density and, and drop the number of zombies um, uh, just to do something like the open streaming world uh, would have really hurt the game. So One of the things I always wonder, I've never made a game. I've never made anything really in my life. <laughs> Some soup once. Poops. But I make lots of poops. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> enough. All right. But, uh, you know, you, you have steeped yourself in this world and, and with Dead Rising 2 and now Dead Rising 3, and, and you guys, I'm assuming, didn't have a lot of downtime between the two. You jumped right back into it. I mean, aren't you ever, like, that's it. I'm so sick of zombies. I'm so sick of this world. I'm so sick of these crazy things and the gore. and the Like, at what point is, is, is there a saturation point for you guys? Because... You know, we we get to do a lot of different things every day, and mm -hmm. we're not we're not just on one thing. But I don't. How do you keep it fresh for, for the team? Mm -hmm. 
We were talking a little bit about that earlier is, is that kind of refresh at the end of each project and mm -hmm. making sure that you take the amount of time that you need to decompress, get creatively refreshed, go and watch some movies and read some books so and so Joss on. Whedon thing you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Joss Whedon uh, cool interview, he called it filling the tank. So mm -hmm. at the end, when you're depleted, it's like go watch some, some bad TV and, and read some books and watch some movies and, and whether it's really high quality stuff or low quality stuff, it's all gonna get you thinking again creatively about what works and what doesn't work, what to do, not what not to do. Um, so that I think is a, a big part of it. In terms of the, the zombie saturation, um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of zombie stuff for a long time, but it's such a rich... They're rich, the perfect video game yeah. enemy, right? You could do whatever yeah. the hell you want it's yeah. not, I mean, you're it's not, super you're not violent. zombie groups coming up saying, yeah. you know, anti-zombie yes. uh, violence. Yeah. Although that was one of the themes in, in Dead Rising 2 in the <laughs> game. Um, yeah, they're, they're perfect. Humanoid enemies, uh, no, no real morality around killing them Their or not. Their fall off yeah. really easily. Yeah. And new seasons <laughs> of Walking Dead keep getting sort of renewed. And, you know, there's obviously an insatiable appetite for this subject matter. Yeah. And I'm wondering, when you're building Dead Rising 2, are you dreaming and sort of pre-building concepts to make it a fully open world thing with, with a lot more? I mean, was this part of the trajectory when you got the first kick at this? Were you kind of already thinking that you were going to be building an open world yeah, version? Yeah, I mean, you never, <clears throat> you never make a perfect game. And, and you even realize, it's like, we're going to make the next one absolutely awesome. Yeah. Even when you're a quarter or the third of the way in, you realize that you're not going to be able to, to do everything that you aspire to doing. So already that early, you're thinking, wow, the next one. We'll do it on the next one, right? Yeah. Um, but still, you got to just invest yourself in what you're doing and, and be really proud of it. And then, yeah, at this stage, as you're sort of coming off one, you start thinking about what are we going to do for the next one. The challenge, uh, for sure, with this one was not only finishing a game and thinking what's the sequel going to be, but now the new hardware is coming in. So how are we actually going to push that? Uh, and layer in not just the extra horsepower, because the first thing everybody thinks about is visuals, right? It's going to look so much better. Yeah. But then we try and think about how many more zombies can we push and how many more enemies and how much more stuff. But then it's like connect. What are you going to do with connect? Smart glass uh, capabilities. Um, what are you doing with connect? And I raise uh, an eyebrow to that question because there's <clears> suspicion <throat> around this device still. What are you going to do with connect? Yeah, uh, we got some cool stuff going on with connect. Um, one of the, the ones that I like the, the most is the zombie grapple stuff. So in the past where it's been, you know, various sort of quick time events, hammer a button, jiggle a stick, yeah. um, the camera's watching you and, and you just have to fling the zombie off. And it just feels so a lot more sort of immersive and, just, and, and, you, and engaging. You throw it over your shoulder like that? Yeah, you don't have to hit a, a single button. The zombie gra grabs on you and as you would in real life if someone grabbed on you, just sort of make a motion and it gets uh, flung off. Hmm. And then on top of that, the voice recognition uh, stuff is really cool. So now you can actually combine, command uh, survivors with voice commands. Um, uh, so get over here, <coughs> yeah, run yeah, for cover. Scavenging, you yeah. know, so you know, we're obviously not Rainbow Six, we don't have super deep squad control, but we did want to add a layer of um, extra ability to command survivors, uh, and then when the connect the sort of came along, it's like, hey, we can, we can actually make this really cool with the voice and with the gestures and so on. What, what are some of the things you say to the survivors? Just so scavenge is one. You uh, say scavenge, and you yeah. just say it out loud in your living room? Yeah, so that's one, that's, that's one we didn't even have on a button in the last game, right? Where 
if someone's uh, in a room and there's a bunch of cool stuff around, you had to physically go and pick it up and then hand it to them. Mm -hmm. And now you got you know three, four, five guys around you scavenge, and you see them all scurry off into corners and cool. grab machetes and lead pipes and stuff. If I say scavenge in my house, the next sound you'll hear is my wife packing a bag and going to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm out of here. I think you said that seven years ago. <laughs> She's been gone for a long time. So how do you retain the dead risingness of this game when you turn it into an open world experience and it doesn't sort of evolve into being a, you know, Grand Theft Auto <coughs> or, you know, an, an Assassin's Creed or something like that? How do you retain the feel and the vibe of what you've already built with the first, your first kick at it in the very first game? Uh, I think the first thing is sticking to the pillars. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned that uh, the VFS thing that Josh and I did uh, a few years back there, the presentation was actually about um, how do you how do you create a vision for a game and then how do you communicate it to a team? Yeah. Um, and our our kind of shtick with with our our presentation was vision is not uh, some hoity-toity thing where I'm the auteur and it's all about my vision. It's actually rallying, you know, 100, 150, 200 people and getting everybody seeing the same thing. Yeah. And with Dead Rising, the key was um, identifying what are, what are those pillars, what are those things we have to have in the game, otherwise it's not a Dead Rising game anymore. So the anything and everything as a weapon is a huge one. Not a lot of games out there have 400, 500 weapons where you can literally pick up any prop in a room and then use it to smack zombies. Uh, even if it's a useless thing, right? Like a you know foam foam finger or a, you know, a giant lollipop or something like that. Um, so that's one. Uh, we're a horde game. We we push you know more enemies than most games. There's there's a couple other that sort of compete, but uh, that that's part of our bread and butter is making sure that in the frame there's just a ton of zombies all the time. Um, another one for for just kind of the DNA of the series is the the dark humor. Um, we kind of refer to it as clown shoes a little bit uh, around the office, but it's important that we've got this juxtaposition of the serious nature of its horror and its zombies and its dark and so on, but then you get these incredibly crazy psychopaths, you know, just bizarre themes to these guys. Um, the story as well feels very sort of B-movie. Yep. You know, the characters are, are taking the situation seriously, but the situation isn't really that serious or, or plausible. Um, so it's things like that, right? We just latch onto those very, very early, get them, get them up on the walls in the studio, and then use those to guide um, the team. And if we see it kind of leaving those tenants, we, that's how we pull people back on track. It's a pretty big year for open world with Saints Row 4 and Grand Theft Auto 5 and Assassin's Creed. Watchdog has got out of the way. Yep. Do you feel that this is helped <coughs> by that appetite for that, or is it hurt because these games are all massive? And people are only going to want to, you know, spend so many experiences in these huge open worlds that they have. I, I think there's a massive appetite for these games because it it appeals to the play your own way thing that all of us as gamers kind of have within us. Right. Um, I like I like a massive variety of games, and and I actually really like uh, linear games. I, I like games that have a very clear picture of a path and a set of experiences that I'm going to be guided through and there's going to be emotional peaks and valleys and all that. I love that kind of game, but the appeal of open world is you jump in and it's, it's yours. Like, yeah, do, do, I, do I need to do that? No, I'm going to go, go do this instead. And uh, Skyrim um, uh, just put the zap in me big time. I was always an open world fan before Skyrim, but that game in particular, I think what it hit more than any other open world game I had played was 
the ADD nature of you sit down and you're like, okay, <laughs> I haven't been on the main story quest for days. Uh, I'm going to the next story mission. And you would find five hours later at two in the morning as you're turning off the controller, you got halfway there and then you ended up in a different corner of the world because it just kept throwing interesting Squirrel. stuff at you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so to long-winded answer, but... Um, I don't think you're going to see a saturation of, of open world games. I, I think it's a, a genre unto itself, and, and it's, a, it's a way to play. It's a, a type of play style. So the game uh, is done, and obviously you guys will be you know, watching like Hawks as the reviews come out. And, and I know that you guys are artists, and, and you are sensitive artists in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, and the, you know, it's, that's a tough process to go through, to watch the, you know, the world get the game and then have at it and, and give you honest feedback. Um, but let's talk about the way you guys celebrate the end of a game. You guys have you've shipped a lot of games at this point. What are you guys doing to mark the shipping of Dead Rising 3? And and what sort of party and can I be invited? <laughs> he wants to pee in your come, bathroom. Come, come pee in the bathroom, yes. <laughs> I, do, I, do, um, I do enjoy the, that. The ending, the ending of games is always very strange because there is there's no real definitive end point anymore, um, any, especially with DLC. And especially everything. now uh, with with just how much more online games are and so on. And, right. Um, yeah, there's a lot more support at the tail end of games now. But uh, yeah, there there is no point where everybody goes, it's done, uh, and and everyone's still in the office, and then you all kind of get together for a party. So. We still do that, obviously. Um, we get the team together and we have sort of a rap party and, and we all kind of celebrate with each other. It's like, you know, sometimes we got along, sometimes we didn't, but we came together and we made something really awesome. Um, it's like yeah, daily TV. <laughs> it is, right? Never ends. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't the, end. At the end of each day, you high five. Yeah. It's like we have a Christmas Go make party another one. I know, it. we do, but it's like, okay, we're back in production with more stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of what it is now, right? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, still, there's always a sense of completion at the end, um, uh, sort of tying the bow on it and then moving on, but it's, it's not a definitive, clear point in time, which is what makes it kind of odd. But we make sure to celebrate, yeah, for sure. Out of all of the launch games for Next Generation, this feels like it hits a lot of quadrants the best, you know? Like, it's got the zombies in it, it's got a big open world in it, it's going to have flashy lots of flashy tech. graphics yeah. and cool technology. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty clear to see. It had a great demo at E3, and I think the response has been pretty positive everywhere you've taken it and shown it so far. Mm -hmm. That must feel pretty good. You've oh, got yeah. the, the, you know, the air under your wings with the Xbox support and everything like that. Yeah, yeah it feels really good. Um, E3 was interesting, actually. It was very interesting because a bunch of us went down to unveil the game. Uh, obviously a massive honor being at the Microsoft unveiling of the platform, the launch mm -hmm. lineup and all that. A uh, nice surprise, too, because I don't think the press was expecting that at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, a super proud moment um, uh, in that hall when they did the unveiling of, of all the, the titles. And just when Dead Rising 3 came up on the screen, there was an immense cheer. And uh, you know, you got goosebumps when that happens. Nice. Uh, and, and there were honestly a few tears. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. Um, but then we got called out as being too Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because uh, you're iterating. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, which was really interesting. And, and that, um, I think, took us by surprise a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if people were ready that we're, we were going to go a little bit more serious with it, but I think we've proven 
uh, with all the other shows and the other stuff in the game that we're focusing on is we still have that breadth. We, we are yeah. a game of, of breadth uh, where we've got tons of crazy things, right? We've got clothing, we've got tons of collectibles, blueprints for combo weapons, we've got tons of vehicles, survivors, psychopaths, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Um, so yeah, over, over time, actually that's one of the incredible things about all the shows that we've done, is the game is, is so wide with so many different features in it, we've almost had to say, okay, which show are we going to use to now show this set of features? Uh, and it's taken all of the shows to actually get to the point where we've kind of unveiled most of the game, right? The only thing that we haven't really gone wide with uh, is the story. Have you stayed in contact with the Dead Rising uh, Japanese team? With yeah. any of any of the uh, original creators? KG Inafune, are you guys still friends? Yeah. Uh, well, Inafune went on to do his own thing yep. uh, in Japan. He left yep. the company. Um, He's doing well with Mighty Number no. 9. And yeah, th that this, looks game, awesome. this game uh, definitely started with their support. We were dealing with Capcom in Japan a lot. Uh, and those guys, of course, were always really helpful because they started the series, right? So yeah. uh, they were doing the same kind of guiding that I was, I was saying earlier, where they set those initial tenets of the, the franchise. Um, over time, though, we've sort of taken it on and, and we really feel like it's our franchise now. Right. And so is this a North American-driven game from here on out, do you think? Um, term, th th this one certainly at the end was. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, obviously can't talk about the future, but... Um, we like having uh, the independence. We feel like we know the franchise now, uh, and it's really ours. Uh, and then, of course, with the, the back of Microsoft, um, they kind of guide us as well. So we're in a good spot. Resident Evil has been struggling. It's not a secret. You know, the sales are, are showing that, and the fan reaction is showing that. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel like there is any internal competition or strife or, or dilemma or or frustration from Capcom that they have these two, you know, huge zombie brands, but this mm -hmm. is clearly, you know, in a, in a sort of a brighter light right now. It's interesting, right? Because they've, they've pushed the tech yeah. and they've, they've expanded and broadened, you know, what this, the definition of, of what a zombie game yeah. can be, whereas Resident Evil's kind of gone in the other direction. They keep shrinking it down further and further Turning and making it, more it smaller and smaller game. and gazing more yeah. and more into their navels. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's still a huge brand. There's the movie series and all that stuff, but right. in the game space, you know, this has arguably got a lot more yeah, positivity around it I right about now. That. And and you know, do you feel any of that heat at all, or they is could it, be making the next Resident Evil? Maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> then there's you know, one of the last Resident Evil games was also made in Vancouver. Don't get that rumor started. Yeah. <laughs> um, so first of all, I'm a big Resident Evil fan. Uh, I remember very very clearly sitting with the old PlayStation and uh, Resident 2, and that was one of my favorite games of all time. I, mm -hmm. I love the environments, love the tone and the mood, um, just fantastic. Uh, and, you know, the, the series has obviously evolved since then. In terms of sort of feeling heat or, or competition, we don't really because uh, they make the game on the other side of the ocean, we make the game on this side. Um, and also, I think we've carved out, carved out very different sort of niches uh, for the franchises as well. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that we do well, a whole bunch of things that they do well. And uh, I don't know what their plans are, you know, how, the, how they plan to react to, to how the last one went over, but we're kind of head down on our own stuff. Okay. And what's, uh, you know, I know you can't really give us specifics on titles or, or make huge announcements or anything right now about what's in progress, but... Uh, give us a sense of the future of what, what's going to happen with Capcom Vancouver. Oh, what? I can answer that. 
Yeah. They're going to be busy. They're going to be busy. <laughs> and zombies. And there might be zombies involved. <laughs> there might be zombies involved. And the big three yeah. is on the way. Yeah, I mean, give, you know, tell us about the, uh, the integration and becoming a part of Capcom culture. And, and mm -hmm. uh, I think you're probably the biggest Western developer for the, the, this you know, international conglomerate right now. Yeah. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, it's, it's just a, a bizarre, it's a bizarre position to be in because yeah. we started uh, Blue Castle Games uh, in 2005 with 12 people on day one. Nuts. Uh, July 4th, so Independence Day, right? We so 12 people right now on the iPhone, that'd be four developers, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so starting, starting from there and, and starting as a baseball-centric studio because we had a lot of, of uh, uh, baseball expertise, um, who knew that within a few years, Capcom would come knocking and whatever they saw in us, it was like, You're, you guys are the right guys to continue the Dead Rising franchise and evolve it and, and make it more Western. Um, you know, we, we've always kind of sailed under lucky stars like that. And uh, it was a massive honor and we took it very seriously. So to go from that and, and make what we felt was a really solid game uh, and really true to the original game, and then have Capcom then say, you know what, we, we want you to, to marry us. And that was the term they used. It wasn't, we want to acquire you, we want to buy is it, you. Is it a Japanese we, we, expression? We want to, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what, how, how do you see the expression? Are you married? No, I'm actually not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm available. I, I think the, the, the point of it... <laughs> This is really it's become a dating awkward now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think the there it, was a respect. Yeah, it, it was it was actually really really kind of nice that they they termed it that they way. They couldn't have um, done anything more flattering than just to outright say, "Come join us," and yeah. you're a part of us now. I love going by the building too. It just says Capcom out front. It's I know. So cool. It's actually really odd if you're cruising up uh, Willingdon there yeah. in, in Burnaby and you look over and there's Capcom on a building. It's like hmm, that's odd. That's well, awesome. What they do in there? There's so there's good. one of those in Osaka, and there's one of them in uh, in San Jose, I think, right? Is yeah. Capcom headquarters in North America? Must feel pretty yeah. good. Uh, it feels great. So yeah, going from that uh, of of joining Capcom, joining forces, and then um, being in this position now, where now we have the added partnership of Microsoft and the support there, we're in a really good spot. Awesome. So it, it hasn't really changed culture-wise for you guys. You still kind of have your autonomy, but you're you feel part of a yeah, a bigger gaming legacy, I guess. Mm -hmm. Is is that a good yeah. way to say? Yeah, we're we're all massive Capcom fans. I remember back when I was a kid playing, you know, Trojan and uh, 1941 and all these amazing sure. Capcom uh, games. And uh, at that point, you know, you have aspirations to get into the industry and so on. But you never think that one day I will actually work for a company that that you respect and has such an incredible lineage of yeah. games. Right? Yeah. Um, What's going on in Vancouver? Everybody's leaving. What's happening? Taxes. Is that all it is? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Um, so uh, I'm more creative focused at the studio. Yeah. Uh, when we began the business, I was, I was more involved in the business side, but um, Rob Barrett, the president, uh, and uh, our GM, Robin, um, they manage that stuff. They do a great job uh, managing that. And um, I like that I've kind of stepped away from that and, and it's been more uh, creative focus for me. So as a result, I probably don't keep my eye on sort of the, the community and, and the way that stuff is playing out yeah. as much. Um, I do know that it's, it's a little sad uh, because Vancouver for a while there was, I think, the center of game development in North America. Right? 2009, 2010, yeah. 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 
Um, and when we started the company in 2005, a whole bunch of other companies started out around the same time. And I think we're one of the few that, that is still kind of not only going, but really flourishing. Um, and I don't think it's, it's because we're smarter or you know, more creative or, or work harder, because I know people in the industry and everyone cares, everyone wants to do a good job. But sometimes it's that magical alignment of the right project and the right people and the right support. Um, yeah, so I, I can't really put my finger on it, but uh, all we can do is keep doing the best job we can. You know what's funny though is, as you mentioned, 1941 and Trojan, some of the old Capcom games. I mean, could you imagine as a kid that games would look like this? Yeah. You know, no. 20, 30, 35 years <coughs> later, like incredible. Yeah, no, and, and one of the things I always have to kick my own butt on is. Um, embracing that it is going to keep going and it is going to get better because I, I tend to be a real old school gamer and old school designer and whenever I feel myself kind of reverting into you know I know why don't we just make it a 2d platformer right next yeah. next dead rising could be a 2d platformer it's yeah. Like, psh, psh. yeah no embrace it right because they're they're going to start mm -hmm. looking more and more photo real they're going to get bigger um, things like connect are going to become much more important uh, I know there's a lot of talk about the Connect right now, but uh, what they're trying to do with it is is really progressive. Yeah. Um, Embrace the tech. Yeah, and yeah. and when you you know you watch uh, you know futuristic movies and so on, that stuff is coming. It's all coming. Yeah, we just saw Ender's Game, and and it has some pretty impressive kind of future looks at possible game ideas. You I'm know? ready for my implants. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and to be smarter and half robot. I like it. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, we kind of are that. And you mentioned a couple things there. You've got an app that goes along with Dead Rising, and I saw an example of that through your uh, E3 demo, which was pretty cool. I want to talk about that. But also, you, all, you talk about developers leaping off and saying, let's just go smaller. Let's make 2D platformers. And there's a glut of that right now. And there seems to be uh, not enough, I think, AAA or console-type development happening. Maybe that's going to be changed a little bit with these new machines out there. Are, are you concerned about that as a game consumer, as a fan, as somebody that's built their career in console development? Are people shifting away too much from this and trying to chase the, uh, uh, I don't know, the free-to-play models and the, and the lower-cost models and, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to get their iOS titles and stuff out there? Yeah. I, I think it's the same thing as what we were just talking about with technology. You have to embrace it because as soon as you, you say, no, I, I'm a console guy. I only like consoles. This other stuff isn't going to last you're going down the wrong road at that point. So mm -hmm. I think we have to embrace it and, uh, you know, go in your career as a, as a creative person, you need to go to places that interest you. Um, I love, like I said, old school games. I, I love a whole bunch of iPad and, and iPhone games, um, play a bunch with, with my kids and so on, and, and one day I'd like to work on those kind of games. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, obviously, we're really focused on big AAA console titles and in the same way that Hollywood the model has changed big time there I think there's always going to be that space for the giant you know tentpole blockbuster films and it's the same way for games we're, we're going to have an appetite for show me what a hundred million dollars 150 million dollars can do blow me away with three years of you know 300 people working or whatever um, and I, I want to experience that right Will there always be an appetite for that, you think? Will, there all, will people I, always go for that? I mean, because one of the things that, that I think challenges that idea is that games 
are, are not so much a uh, it's a cost decision it's mm. the time decision yeah because even the dollar games can take all of your time away yeah well the the ultimate decider will be the gamers and, yeah. and if they stop supporting them mm -hmm. we're not going to have them anymore because as, as soon as you start losing money on a bunch of big games yeah there's not going to be the appetite to take that kind of risk on so yeah um in in terms of what i hope i hope that it continues because I love diving into these giant games and, and playing. Um, and of course, you get older. Uh, you know, you guys play a ton of games. Yeah. Because um, that's your job. Yes. Uh, for us, our job is making games, so we don't always have time to play as many games. So we have to be more selective. Uh, and myself, like I was saying, you know, the, towards the end of a game, games start to stack up on the, the shelf beside the uh, consoles, and they're in plastic still. But if I have to pick my spots, I'm obviously going to go after the biggest, highest reviewed games on the year and I'm going to consume those along with the you know the little stuff the Xbox Live stuff and the iOS stuff. Yeah and, and Scott and I love a lot of that stuff too we review some of those games and they stay with us Kingdom Rush is you know one of our favorite games both of us love that. Eating 60 70 we talk hours about out it of all the life, time. Yeah. But uh, I, you know for me personally I'm not going to speak for Scott I, I, I walk around thinking of these experiences and these these moments that I have in these huge titles mm -hmm. you know and uh, I think I, about sex. And he thinks about sex. Meatloaf and maybe, sandwiches. maybe one day having some. <laughs> <laughs> one day. That's how to get married to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, technically. Where are you going with this? Uh, well, I'm just, I, I am concerned with, and, you know, the cynicism in, in our industry and, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, people getting kind of swayed by all of these little blinking lights and we're, we're as. Uh, guilty of that as anybody to protect Jason from this we have to let them keep their heads down let them keep working no but I'm, I'm curious on his viewpoint you know because he's working on a title that uh, in, requires a, a new console and expensive technology and yep. took a long time to build and I, I'm assuming everybody that built this one wants to build another one is there concern about you know the shifting marketplace and having to think smaller for a future mm -hmm. you know yeah, I think there's there's always going to be concern for sure. Yeah. Um, but the market is going to tell us, and, yeah. and very quickly we got two giant consoles launching. We're going to find out what is the appetite for them. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, fingers crossed. The the hope is that people really embrace them because I think it's awesome. I I think every time we get a, a refresher in the industry with a new console cycle coming in, um, you know, we kind of shake out some of the the bad habits from before and the mm -hmm. things that didn't work. We have to embrace new new tech and new ways of doing things. Um, and the most important thing is to give the player new experiences, right? Yeah. Some of the some of the movie directors that I I really admire are the ones that shake things up and they don't just keep spitting the same movie out each time. Totally. It's the guys who, who come in and, and go, you know what, you guys have never seen this before. Like and Neil I'm Blomkamp. Show it to you. Yeah. Yeah. But there yeah. are so many parallels between games and movies because I mean, remember the rise of Miramax and in independent film. I mean, we don't even really call them indie films anymore. And no. I think we're still so young as a medium, and we still have so far to go that we're just this is just a phase, and it's a period that we're going through where we're trying to figure out what our future is. So we're still making the big games, and we're making the small games. Uh, what well, I'll tell you, I'm in this funk because of these these terrible you are reviews in a funk. of Batman uh, Arkham Origins. So down, you're taking I really, it personally. I, I, it's, it really upsets me because this was it's a beautiful, awesome Batman experience, and, and reviewers are out there trashing it, and there's skepticism about it, and it's just like. 
you know, these people, people are killing themselves to build this stuff. And I don't want that to, to keep happening to developers like yours. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know how hard you guys work on a game like this. Yeah. And I don't want there to just be this apathy, this shrug uh, yeah. about this incredible work. Yeah, you and know? you mentioned that earlier. You, you sweat over a game and a whole bunch of people uh, honestly make big personal sacrifices to, to make the game as good as possible. Yeah. Uh, and if you get to the end of a game and the game isn't reviewed well, you know, that, that stings. You, you start to question, you know, was that worth it? Yeah, um, and, that, and that all of the Metacritic <laughs> crap that yeah, comes okay. around and, all and, the time. with, you know, with Mass Effect and, and all the things. Having to redo the ending yeah, or, or, crazy. or Bioshock Infinite, having to, you know, concede that, you know, it wasn't as good as everybody had hoped it was going to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's and, crazy. And at the end of the day, it's going to be subjective. Yes. Right? Any, anybody that's um, in, in the press and, and their job is to be a critic, they're projecting their own, you know, personality, values, et cetera, at the game. Yeah. Um, and even though people work hard to make these things and spend a lot of money to make these things, you can't just reward people for effort put in. There has to be quality there, right? You have to reward good creative decision-making. Yep. So uh, I would never say, you know, no AAA game should ever be reviewed below an 85. It's like, let's let's celebrate the games that, that for whatever reason, chemistry or, or, or good creative decision-making rise to the top and those are the ones that, that people gravitate towards. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm really interested to see how the, how the old uh, uh, Metacritic reset button is going to be pushed on next gen because that's yeah. always a question mark, right? Yeah. How are you guys going to look at the next gen of launch titles and you know, are you going to reset the average to lower? Right. Is it going to stay high? Is it just the best one of the launch titles gets the 95 and and the spectrum drops below that, and that's really in your hands. Well, um, I, th I think after you know playing games for almost four decades now, I expect a lot more from games than I ever used to. Right. And, and certainly now with the new consoles and, the, and what they can do and all the power they're supposed to have, uh, the expectations are high. That's a lot of pressure. There is a maturity about the way these this new console generation is coming forward, though, and I think that's been uh, you know well expressed by both Microsoft and Sony is that it's not the you know technological leapfrog that the PS2 to PS3 or the Xbox One to Xbox 360 was. This is smart x86 architecture that's very accessible. You guys already speak these languages. It's not having to double and triple your team sizes to get games that look like this now. Uh, you know, and, and I think that there is also an educated consumer base out there that isn't expecting uh, you know, holographic experiences yet. Um, so I, you know, I think there is there's a maturation that's happening in the games industry, but we still have another console war. How do you feel about this this new console war that's about to happen for us? <laughs> do we uh, need it? Do we need it? I, I remember having conversations 15 plus years ago about should video game systems just be like the VHS or the DVD player or now the Blu-ray Blu player? Yeah. Should there be a standardized format? And now it's about content. Yep. Um, uh, I'm not one of those decision makers. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the, the people at the top of those companies. Um, I can't imagine the head of Sony and the head of MS ever getting in a room and going, hey, let's, let's compromise on this. You know, competition sometimes is a, a really good thing because um, mm -hmm. it pushes both sides. So there's, there's positives and negatives. Um, but at this point, obviously, I know which camp I'm in. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a, I, like I said, I've always been a huge Xbox fan. When the Xbox first came out, uh, just 
day one playing Halo and Project Gotham, I was, man, this this is cool. Yeah. This, this is awesome. Um, and I think MS has done an amazing job uh, then with the 360 of pushing what consoles should be able to do. So I'm really excited. You gonna take a little uh, vacation? What are you gonna do for yourself? Buy yourself a little treat? You deserve a treat. <laughs> Get yourself uh, something nice. Maybe a PS4. <laughs> Microsoft guy doesn't that. You guys planned that, didn't no, you? No, we didn't. No. Um, what are you going to do? Oh, it's some time off for sure. Yeah. Uh, we're we're kind of wrapping up some things around the office still. The game's not out yet. So you got any so new hobbies? Making um, weapons. Making weapons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get, getting, back in, getting back into reading a little bit more. Yeah, what are you, um, you reading anything good? Actually, I've just finished the uh, Schwarzenegger biography. Oh, really? Uh, nice. And it was awesome. It was actually a real... Um, sort of creative refresher. It's one of those filling the tank things where you read about this guy who started out as a farm boy in it's Austria yeah. and became the world bodybuilding champion and became a real estate mogul and then became the biggest movie star in the world and then became the governor. Um, just the drive you read about in the book. The power uh, of a human being. Can you do yeah. the voice? Yeah, just do the voice. You can do it. Probably better than us. Dude, go ahead. <laughs> I bet you can do the voice. Welcome right? to the party rector. Just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. That's good. Do you read in his voice when you're reading his autobiography? Looks like uh, Anthony Bourdain. You know, he's on TV all the time with the no reservations sure, and, rub it and whatever. In. And I'm reading uh, Kitchen Confidential as well right now. That's and as you're reading, book, you can't yeah. help but not read in his voice, right? Nice. Love Kitchen Confidential. I love it. We have a video game. Uh, talk book show, chat. and we're talking about books. <laughs> Thick and scum. That's that's so yeah. rad. Go for his book club. Okay, what do you what do you say to skeptics on, out there? How much longer are you going to keep him here? This for? is it. This All is right. the last question. Jesus. All right, there's skeptics. There's skeptics. Dead Rising, Xbox. You know, uh, you know, Xbox One. Why do I need this? What do you say to people? I'll answer that, for Jason. Yeah, just try it. And uh, that's all I ask. What did you think about Scott's answer? <laughs> <laughs> Five stars. Little, little thin soup there. Uh, <laughs> okay, so well, good. Can you elaborate? I, so like I said, I'm a gamer. Uh, everybody at the studio is gamer, are, are gamers. Um, and we're really excited about the game that we've made, uh, about how different the experience is going to be, how much more sophisticated it's going to be. Um, jump in, like just jump in and, and try these things out. Uh, beginning of, of the console generation, right, so there's only going to be so many launch titles and take a while, while until there's a library in place, but um, the Xbox in particular has a pretty strong lineup and over the course of the next 12 months there's going to be really good games out there. I'm, I'm jazzed for, you know, Titanfall and uh, Honestly, I, I can't wait to play arcade you know what? It's so <laughs> in my funny. own basement on my big screen because with surround sound. I when wait. I played Dead Rising 2, I thought there was a, an air, a little bit of an undercurrent or an air of insecurity about it because I think you guys were kind of surprised that you were pulling off this awesome feat. But there's an assuredness about Dead Rising 3. There's a, a little bit of a cockiness that I think is going to serve the game well. Like, you guys are very sure of what you can do at this point, and it's com that confidence is coming through the game. Is that That's something right. you need to have to make open world? Cockiness? Yeah. Confidence, yeah. Um, I don't know if cocky, well, certainly confidence. You need that in, in anything that you do creatively. Otherwise, you get paralyzed and you won't move forward. Um, and sometimes you take big bets and big risks, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I guess the reason that we're so confident about DR3 is it looks great uh, when you actually get your hands on the controller and play it. It it's, feels way smoother than before. And it really is a game that you can jump in and, and play your own way. Uh, one of the things that Josh has been great about with, with talking to the press is um, 
pitching that idea of we wanted the game this time to be more serious, more mature, more sophisticated as a baseline experience. But if you want to get into the clown shoes and the kookiness, it's there. Go, mm -hmm. go dive into it. If you don't want it, you know, play it straight up. So it's just a really, I think, broad experience. Otis, is he in there? No Otis. No Otis this time. Ah, wait, Otis types. Wait, no, can't, can't give away a spoiler, but uh, there's a, a bit of an Otis reference at one point. Very nice. His, I can't wait. His brother, Modus. Mo <laughs> Modus. Modus, Modus. I can't wait to play this game. This is the first game yeah. I'm putting in when I get the Xbox One at home. I'm going to buy That's two awesome. copies in case one gives out in the night. Yep. Jason. And the thing is, I, I believe you because when you were in the studio last time, you actually had a chance to get your hands on the controller and you said no. I don't want to ruin it. I want yeah. to. I want to I play it at home. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I want to experience it. I do. Sort of pure. The lights off. Just me and the cats. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic, right? Yeah. And so creepy. Yeah. And we get the pure <laughs> What? Thanks for coming down, brother. Yeah, pleasure. Awesome. Congratulations. Pleasure. Can't yeah, wait to play the game, man. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Jason Lee. It was awesome to have him in the basement. He classed the joint Golf up. Clap. And he was uh, not even, uh, you know, uh, brought to us by the um, uh, magic of technology. He actually came to the basement. He put on the clothespin, sat down, and yeah. uh, enjoyed don't some get time. A lot. Remember, we had Billy Campbell here once. <laughs> he will never come back. Well, he left some of the stink in here, too. But <laughs> <laughs> how's Billy doing? You talked to him? I, 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 he's been busy on uh, on uh, his show. What, what's it called? Uh, being human? Being no, alone? No, it's... Uh, he, <laughs> That's Helix. My show. <laughs> Helix, I think it's called. Helix. Uh, it's a new okay. sci-fi show that okay. Ron Moore is a part of, okay. uh, and he's shooting in Montreal. Uh, we have to have him back on talk about the show. That'd yeah, be awesome. See if he's see what his availability is. See if he uh, he uh, cho has chosen in this console war whether he bought a PS4 or an Xbox One. We are all going to be choosing in the next couple of weeks yeah. with our wallets, with our hearts, yes. with our minds. Yes. Xbox One versus PlayStation Four. That sound you hear is not thunder on the horizon. That is two behemoths clashing. Yeah. I feel like I'm announcing a prize fight here. It feels. It feels. You feel. <laughs> The excitement though yeah last year winter was coming but this is much bigger than that <laughs> you know? it was a long dark winter yeah this is this is going to be uh, this is going to be bright uh, honestly like it's going to get incredibly exciting to start talking We're about all of this so stuff busy. i know so nuts like in the best we've way got, imaginable we've this got is travel we've been, coming up we've, we've got preparing. good guests coming up yeah we've been preparing our whole lives yes for this moment and listen uh, you know if you haven't already I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast VixBasement.com yeah VixBasement.com but, you, but you're not aware that we have a new thing on the way it's called EPN.TV it is uh, what is that now well we're not ready to am talk too it? much about it you're a, you're a part of it yeah do I have e my own show called Being Alone yes you do yeah Being Alone with Cats <laughs> with Scott starring Scott Jones yeah EPN.TV go to the URL what, it's going to be a very important URL for us do you win us. something well, maybe, but sign up and get some more info on sign this, up, all right? Oh, Show some support to EPN.TV. You could win a hug from Vic. Yeah. Well, uh, you get that for free. Maybe some soup that I prepared. Here, I'm, I'm giving you an e-hug right now. Okay. Can, you, oh, can you hear that? Gross, man. How, how was that? You just rub your boobs against the so, microphone. Sorry about that, that Josh. so weird. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Jason Lee, and thank you, Sony and the PlayStation 4 yeah. for supporting us. And remember now the send them. And PS4 comes out November 15th. We'll see you next time at Vic's Basement. Send them. You want to say Stitcher? Stitch. Are we still on that? Yeah. Stitcher. <laughs> and iTunes and everywhere. Send us the controls. <laughs> All right, Batman. Once again, thank you to Sony and the PlayStation 4 for supporting Vic's Basement. You guys rock.